Okay. Three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Wednesday, April 22nd, one day before the NFL draft. Uh, Today's episode is all about, I'm going to tell you what I would do with the top five picks in the NFL draft. The Bengals, the Redskins, the Lions, the Giants, and the Dolphins. What should those five teams do in my opinion? I'm going to do a Jalen Hurts film analysis. We'll talk about The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. Uh, We have a story about Joe Burrow. We'll talk about some receivers. Uh, We'll end with Ask Zach. We also, of course, are going to talk about probably the biggest breaking news is that Rob Gronkowski has been traded and is coming out of retirement. But before we do anything, there's a very, very pressing matter. I have a, a massive question for the audience. I hope you're paying attention. I get so many comments about this. Who is Anthony Fantano? Who in the world? I, every time I wear this flannel, I get a million comments from people going like, oh my gosh, Zach stole Anthony Fantano's flannel. And I don't, I, I, I'm not familiar with, I, you know, I should have Googled him. I, now that I, I, I don't know, it's more fun maybe if you guys tell me, who is Anthony Fantano? I have no idea. Um, and I just keep getting comments that I stole his flannel. I don't know. And <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. I'd love it for If you told me guys that'd be fun, um, point me in a direction. I'll go find the guy. But apparently people say I stole his flannel. I, no idea. I, I want to start today with this. It's probably the biggest, again, breaking news in, I mean, the last, really, there's no, there's no real news going on. There's a lot of rumors and speculation. Here's an actual story. Thank God we have a real, actual thing that happened. It's not speculation. It's not planning. It's not a rumor. Tight end Rob Gronkowski was traded from the New England Patriots to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for a fourth round pick. So Gronk is coming out of retirement to play with Tom Brady in Tampa. I love it, man. Oh, my gosh. I love this story. Uh, First of all, both sides of the trade won. The Buccaneers got Rob Gronkowski. They also got, I think, a seventh-round draft pick. The Buccaneers got a fourth-round, excuse me, the Patriots got a fourth-round draft pick. And the reality is the reason why the Patriots won this trade is Rob Gronkowski was not going to play for the Patriots. He was going to stay retired I think the only place Rob Gronkowski was going to play football this year was if he somehow ended up on the same team as Tom Brady. And so basically the Patriots got a fourth-round draft pick that would not have gotten otherwise. So good for them. They won as well. And um, I just love the idea of one last ride for Gronk. Him and Tom Brady getting back together. I, I really believe Gronk wants another Super Bowl. And he wants to play with Tom Brady. He wanted both. If both conditions were possible... I believe he was going to do it. And, you know, he didn't play last year for the Patriots. He had a bunch of injuries and it was all banged up. But I do think that part of the reason why Gronk didn't play last year for the Patriots was that he didn't believe they had a chance to win a Super Bowl. So this year, I think, is a message. Hey, Gronk believes that Tom Brady's doing the right thing, headed in the right direction and headed towards a Super Bowl. It's a big statement. I love it. And so next season, I think because Rob Gronkowski took a year off, we're going to see a healthier Gronk, a guy who's not as banged up and has a little bit more, I think just a, a rejuvenized, re-energized Gronk. But also, here's a key word, an emotionally recharged Gronk, a guy who's more focused. He had a year off. He's going to be great for the locker room because he can come in with Tom Brady and help 
Tom Brady set the tone for what they need to do to win a Super Bowl. And people will listen to Gronk. He's a legend. He's potentially a Hall of Fame tight end. Maybe especially now if he has a great year this year. And he's won a Super Bowl before. People will listen to him when he talks. Now, I, I want to be very clear. I believe Gronk and Tom Brady are going to have fun. They're going to enjoy the journey and enjoy the season. I think in the past with the Patriots, it's been so focused. They've been so hard down and very serious. And they weren't allowed to have, I think, as much fun as Tom Brady, I think, is going to have this year. And I think Tom Brady can enjoy the journey without sacrificing a serious tone, a serious attitude. You can take winning seriously and be very focused, but also enjoy that journey and enjoy that process. I think we'll see both from Tom Brady, and that's what I'm really excited to watch about Tom Brady and his career and his season this year, uh, and maybe his, his journey with the Buccaneers, is how does his aura, how does his personality kind of shift and focus and change a little bit towards not just winning, but also enjoying the journey? Because like, like every guy, every guy gets older and they move, you know, people literally when they retire, move to Florida to slow down and enjoy things and actually, you know, really enjoy the journey and enjoy life. And I think in many ways, this was not only a move for Tom Brady to try to pursue a Super Bowl, but also a move for Tom Brady to try to go and enjoy the journey and enjoy the process, which is something people don't talk about very often. But when you've grinded for 20 years like Tom Brady has, I think he now wants both. He wants to be happy, fulfilled, win and enjoy winning and enjoy that whole thing. Um, and I think having Gronk there is going to help out a lot. Now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have now three tight ends. They have O.J. Howard, they have Rob Gronkowski, and they have Cameron Brait. And some people say the Buccaneers should trade away O.J. Howard. He's a 25-year-old tight end. He's a former first-round pick. And I don't really understand, what's the benefit of trading away O.J. Howard? Best case scenario, like if you if you trade away OJ Howard and you get a first round pick, great. Here's the problem. You still have to have Tom Brady play with a rookie. And rookies don't actually help Tom Brady very much. We saw that last year in New England. A young player, a rookie player, doesn't help Tom Brady very much unless it's a running back because you can just plug him in and running backs are a lot different than a receiver or a lineman. For the most part, rookies don't help Tom Brady unless it's a rookie running back. Then that could work. But I don't think you're going to get a first-round draft pick for O.J. Howard. At best, I mean, think about it. <laughs> Amari Cooper was traded for a first-round pick. Um, guys, and DeAndre Hopkins was traded for a first-round pick. Do you think O.J. Howard, a guy who's been uh, an average guy, who people think, people think O.J. Howard has potential as a tight end, but he hasn't really hit his ceiling, and no one really knows how good he's going to pan out? Do you think that's worth a first-round draft pick to teams? Not a lot of teams want that. Maybe he's worth it. But I think at best-case scenario, the Buccaneers get a third-round pick for O.J. Howard. And you're really going to give up O.J. Howard, a guy who's solid, good, a starting, starting tight, end, tight end in your football team who has some good plays over the last couple of years. And you're going to trade O.J. Howard away for a third-round draft pick, a guy you're not aware of and not sure how, who's, uh, how good he is? I just don't understand. Rookies don't help Tom Brady. Uh, a third-round draft pick is very unknown. It's all up in the air. You have a known commodity with O.J. Howard. Why would you trade that away? Having an experienced tight end, a guy who's got especially untapped potential like O.J. Howard. And here's the thing. If you put O.J. Howard next to Gronk, I would imagine O.J. Howard is going to learn from Rob Gronkowski and learn, oh, I should do this instead of that. Not to mention having a lot of tight ends is not a bad thing. Is it bad to have... Many, th- many of the many things that are good, uh, not really, 
Do you remember what the Patriots did when they had two great tight ends with Tom Brady and uh, Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez? They were phenomenal. They built an offense around a two tight end system. What's the problem with having two? Here's another really interesting concern is Gronk has slimmed way down since his playing days with the Patriots. He's now much lighter, much leaner, not quite as bulky. Is he going to be able to get back to his playing weight? Because here's my question. Rob Gronkowski is going to be able to run around, make great catches, yada, yada. Can he block? Can he block at the same level he used to be able to do? If nothing else, keep a third tight end to help your team in the running game when it comes to the blocking scheme. And I just don't understand why you would want to trade away a good known commodity. OJ Howard, Gronk, Cameron Brait, three great tight ends, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. I, I don't see how having a bunch of great receiving weapons is a bad thing at all. In fact, at the very least, you can make Rob Gronkowski a flex. You know, he's going to, for the most part, be split out anyways in man, you know, single coverage, kind of playing like a slot receiver. So how much is Rob Gronkowski really even a true tight end? I don't know. I would not trade O.J. Howard. doesn't make any sense to me. It's not worth what you would get. And I think O.J. Howard helps the, the Buccaneers a lot. I would keep him around. And I would not trade O.J. Howard at all. Okay, uh, let's talk about the top five teams in the NFL draft. What would I do if I was those five top five teams? Um, the Cincinnati Bengals have the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. And I think things are pretty easy for them. It's pretty straightforward what they should do. You draft Joe Burrow. Don't overcomplicate things. He's a quarterback at LSU. And he's the best quarterback available. I couldn't write this any better because he's from Ohio. He's a local kid. He knows the area. He literally, in his Heisman speech, talked about Ohio. He's a, and not, to, not only that, right? Not only is Joe Burrow from Ohio a great quarterback, yada, yada. He's literally the best guy I can possibly think of to have you try and run your franchise. To be the top guy in your NFL franchise, Joe Burrow, I can't imagine a better personality for that. What I love about Joe Burrow is he mastered everything he could control. Footwork, decision-making, accuracy. And he has enough resilience so that if things go poorly in his rookie year, his first year in the NFL, he can respond. He won't flinch. He won't back down. He'll keep fighting. He'll keep working. He'll get better, even if he's struggling early on in year one. Or if year one goes totally bad, remember Peyton Manning had a horrible rookie year. You never know. After one year... You got to slow down, let a guy develop a little bit, especially someone who's as competitive as Joe Burrow is. So maybe the Bengals should listen to offers. I, if a team said, hey, we're going to give you six first-round draft picks to have Joe Burrow, maybe you do that. That makes sense to me. I get it, right? But if a team gave you, I don't know, I, I, I don't know what else. You, like, I just don't think there's many offers that are worth taking to give up the number one overall pick for Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's incredible. Don't, it's pretty simple. If you're the Bengals draft Joe Burrow. It's simple. It's straightforward. He's the number one quarterback available. He's a franchise quarterback, in my opinion. He's exactly what the Cincinnati Bengals need. He can throw guys open. Uh, He's phenomenal. He's a good leader. I would pick him and don't look back at all. And what I think the Cincinnati Bengals should do is pretty straightforward, pretty easy. Draft Joe Burrow, the quarterback out of LSU. Now, um, the Washington Redskins have the number two overall pick. I believe they should draft Chase Young, the defensive end out of Ohio State. He's likely the best overall player in the NFL draft. And uh, Brett Coleman, a guy, Brett Coleman's a, a football mind I really respect. He called him, I quote, the best pass rusher he's ever evaluated. 
Brett Coleman knows his football. If Brett Coleman says that about Chase Young, okay, I'm sold. Chase Young is a generational talent. And the Redskins just got a new defensive-minded head coach, Ron Rivera. Chase Young and the Redskins seem like a perfect fit to me. And the only reason why the Redskins should not draft Chase Young is if they decided, we, we looked at our team, we evaluated our roster, and we said, you know what? We really need a quarterback. We love Chase Young. He's a great defensive end, but if we don't have a franchise quarterback, it doesn't matter. If they don't believe in their young quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, I get it. But the, there's only two options here available for the Washington Redskins. It's draft Chase Young or draft a quarterback. That's it. Chase Young is literally that good. When I watch tape, I see what Brett Coleman sees. He's phenomenal. He's incredible. I, I would be very surprised if anything happened that Chase Young wasn't the number two overall pick. But what wouldn't surprise me too much is that the Redskins said, you know what? We're not sold on Dwayne Haskins. We're going to move on. We're going to draft Tua Tungavaloa instead. Uh, remember, it wouldn't surprise me too much because Ron Rivera wasn't the head coach who drafted Dwayne Haskins. Ron Rivera came to the Redskins, and Dwayne Haskins was already there. Not his guy, not the guy he wanted. And Dwayne Haskins wasn't all that impressive last year. But again, there are only two acceptable options if you're the Redskins. Draft Chase Young, a great defensive end, a guy who can take over a game. Remember, quarterback is the most important position in football. You might not like hearing that, but it's true. The guy who's tackling the quarterback and getting after the quarterback and making his job harder is probably the second most valuable person in the NFL, a defensive end. So defensive end or quarterback, they're the people I would really focus heavily on in the draft. And I think that's the only two acceptable options, especially if Chase Young is really as good as everyone is saying he is. If he's a generational talent, if he's better than Miles Garrett and better than other people, absolutely take Chase Young. Now, here's a big question. A what if? What if the Cincinnati Bengals with the number one overall pick decide, you know what? We have Andy Dalton. He's a fine quarterback. And we're going to draft Chase Young. We're drafting the defensive end. Then what do the Redskins do? What would the Redskins do if their guy, Chase Young, got taken off the board? You draft Joe Burrow. You draft Joe Burrow, a quarterback out of LSU. You have options. Either say, hey, I have this known. Joe Burrow is a heavily coveted player. If nothing else, we can trade him away. We can trade him to a Dolphins or a team who wants him. And we can get, we can use Joe Burrow to get us even more picks and help our team and use him as leverage. Here's the other thing. I would actually keep Joe Burrow over Dwayne Haskins. And it's kind of funny. They both played at Ohio State, and actually Ohio State chose Haskins over Joe Burrow. Today, right now, Joe Burrow is a better quarterback than Dwayne Haskins, and I would take him as my franchise quarterback over Dwayne Haskins. So, if the Bengals do pick Chase Young and their, you know, Joe Burrow is still on the board, the Redskins should draft Joe Burrow and then trade Dwayne Haskins to a team like the Patriots. Trade him to a team in... You don't want to trade him to a team in the NFC, like the Saints are in the NFC, might play Dwayne Haskins in the, in the playoffs someday. Hey, the Patriots are in the AFC, the other side of the NFL. You're never going to deal with them, not really going to play him. Yeah, I would absolutely send Dwayne Haskins to the Patriots and draft Joe Burrow if, in fact, the Bengals took away Chase Young the number one overall, as the number one overall pick. Now, um, the Detroit Lions have the number three overall pick. Some say they should draft a quarterback. I don't think that makes any sense at all. Matthew Stafford is the franchise quarterback in Detroit. He's great. I think he's criminally underrated. I think you got to build around Matthew Stafford. Now, some people say that 
the Detroit Lions should trade down. We'll talk about that in a minute. But pretty much every mock draft and pretty much every person out there is saying that the Lions should draft Jeff Okuda, the corner from Ohio State. He was the best corner in college football last year. He's phenomenal. Truly, he's a great corner. When I watch him, I go, oh, I get it. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's dang good. So the Lions have a couple options here. Number one, if somehow miraculously Chase Young, the defensive end out of Ohio State, if Chase Young fell into their lap, let's say the Bengals take a quarterback, the Redskins take a quarterback, oh, Chase Young is still available, draft him. In a heartbeat, don't look back. But I don't, I don't see that happening at all. There's no way I think that Chase Young falls out of the top two picks. I think it's more likely the Lions are either going to draft Jeff Okuda, the corner out of Ohio State, who, look, makes sense. If, if the Lions draft Jeff Okuda, absolutely phenomenal. Or they could trade down. If, you know, especially if two quarterbacks are off the board immediately, a team's going to want to... I, I, I think you, you, could, you could possibly trade down because the Dolphins are, have the fifth overall pick, the Chargers have the sixth overall pick, and so if a team behind them wants to move up and leapfrog those two teams, the Lions are a good option to trade down. Um, but they can't really go wrong here. Either trade down to get your team more draft picks, and then even like if you trade, if the Chargers, for example, want to leapfrog the Dolphins and take the guy they want and not leave it a chance for the Dolphins, then the Lions would still be the sixth overall pick. They could probably still get Jeff Okuda if they wanted to. So I don't know. I, I, I will say this. If Jeff Okuda was a quarterback or a defensive end, I would say do not trade down. You need a quarterback. You need a defensive end. A corner, a defensive back, is not quite as valuable as a quarterback or as a defensive end. So if the Lions said, you know what? Uh, we're going to trade down, get more draft picks, and we have now two first-round picks or a first-round pick and three seconds or who knows, whatever whatever the deal is. I think that would make sense to me because Jeff Okuda could be a long-time starter in the NFL, a great corner, a shutdown guy, phenomenal. He's going to have less impact than Chase Young or a quarterback would, and so um, he's not as important. But again, if, if the Lions draft Jeff Okuda, love it, totally happy. The other option is to keep drafting offensive linemen. Um, but I, I really, I think the Lions are going to drive Jeff Okuda. That makes a lot of sense to me because he is, he's the best, after Chase Young, he's the best defensive player available. And they could use a corner and they have a defensive-minded head coach. And so I see the Lions either drafting Jeff Okuda or trading down. Neither is a bad option to me. And that's what I would do. The New York Giants have the number four overall pick. And there are some rumors that the Giants are considering, considering drafting a quarterback like Justin Herbert out of Oregon. And I really believe this is a rumor that has been put out there by maybe even the Lions. Think about it. Maybe the Lions leaked out this information. The Lions have the number three overall pick just ahead of the Giants. And if the Bengals pick a quarterback, Joe Burrow, number one overall, if the Dolphins, number five overall, pick a quarterback, it's two quarterbacks off the board. Oh, and if the Giants also pick a quarterback then there are three quarterbacks off the board in the first five picks, and any team behind them that wants a quarterback has to wait around to see what's left of the scraps. And so I believe the Lions might be driving up the price of their draft pick. If the Lions want to trade down, then releasing this information out there that the Giants are considering drafting a quarterback might get a team to panic and trade up to the Lions spot to take a quarterback before the Giants can, before the Dolphins can. That makes a lot of sense to me. I do not believe that the Giants are going to draft a quarterback, and I don't believe the Giants need to draft a quarterback. The Giants have Daniel Jones. He's phenomenal. Of course, the New York sports media is massive. The New York sports media is massive and huge, and so 
basically every possible storyline you can have around the Giants draft picks has been thrown out there. Of course, some people, there's always a fraction of the fan base, of the fan base, of the fan base, that doesn't want Daniel Jones and believe in the quarterback. Basically, no matter who is the quarterback for the Giants, there's always going to be somebody in New York writing that the, the quarterback isn't good enough, the quarterback isn't blah, blah, blah. And so it makes sense that there are rumors out there, oh, what if this happens? What if that happens? But um, to me, Daniel Jones is a franchise quarterback. He was their first-round pick last year. Oh, and by the way, did the Giants get a new general manager? No, they didn't. Uh, Dave Gettleman is still the general manager in New York. Daniel Jones is his guy. He's not going to bail on his quarterback he just drafted last year, especially not when Daniel Jones, oh, played pretty well in his rookie year. So I don't understand that at all. Um, And I think what does make sense to me, the Redskins are, they don't want to miss out on Chase Young. Now, the Lions might really want corner Jeff Okuda. So I think the two best players on defense for the Giants to possibly draft will be off the board by the time the Giants draft at number four overall. And I really believe the Giants should build their offensive line. Draft an offensive lineman. That's what they need on their franchise and on their roster. You got a great franchise quarterback, Daniel Jones. You have a phenomenal, really special running back, Saquon Barkley. I think you got to draft on the offensive line. Help those two skill players on offense have an easier time doing their job. Maybe Tristan Wirfs. I'm not saying his name wrong. Tristan Wirfs from Iowa or Andrew Thomas from Georgia. I like both of those picks. I just believe the Giants should get the best offensive tackle available in the draft, in their opinion. Draft an offensive lineman. Build your offensive line. I wouldn't trade down. You could if you can. It makes sense because they're not a team that needs a quarterback if they get a good enough pick. Uh, like if, I don't know, if a team wants to go from the mid-teens or maybe the the Chargers want to draft ahead of the Dolphins, maybe the Giants trade down because they can still get what they want anyway. There's still going to be a good offensive tackle available by the 15th pick or even by the 6th pick where the Chargers is. So who knows what's going to happen. I think the Giants could trade down, but the thing I would target if I was the Giants is an offensive lineman. Build your offensive line. Make your quarterback and running back's job easier by giving them help on the offensive line. All right, the Miami Dolphins. I'm going to drink some water first before we get into this. Um... Hmm. The Miami Dolphins have the number five overall pick. And if they can, they had better draft the quarterback out of Alabama to a tongue of Aloha. It's very simple. It's straightforward. Um, you know, some people are concerned that drafting Tua is a problem because he got hurt last year. Remember, he dislocated his hip. He's had an ankle injury before. I dare you. Do it. I dare the Dolphins to pass on Tua Tungavaloa, the quarterback out of Alabama. Do it. I, I would love to see that. Anybody remember when I read this in Drew Brees' book? Drew Brees was headed to the Miami Dolphins, and then they didn't want him because their medical evaluation said, ah, we're going to pass on Drew Brees. <laughs> and years later, uh, Drew Brees became a Hall of Fame quarterback with the New Orleans Saints. And the Miami Dolphins are still looking for a franchise quarterback to this day. I would not make the same mistake twice. Just remember, once upon a time, the Dolphins passed on having Drew Brees as their franchise quarterback. They chose Dante Culpepper instead. Don't pass on Tua. Don't make the same mistake again. It's just too ugly. If you don't draft Tua, you got to play him for years and years. Oh, man. Now, I just think I'd be a massive, massive mistake. Do not pass on a special quarterback. It's simple. Tua is a franchise quarterback. I don't know what else, what other information you want 
That's enough to me. Two is a franchise quarterback. Draft him. It's very simple. Now, what happens if somehow a team takes Tua before the Dolphins can? What if, you know, the Bengals take Joe Burrow and somebody moves up ahead of the Dolphins and takes away Tua Tungvaloa? Now, one thing the Dolphins could do is to avoid that from happening, to avoid a team from moving up and taking their guy, is the Dolphins have the 18th overall pick and the 26th overall pick. They have three first-round picks, and that's incredible. Number five, number 18, and number 26. But I would not trade up in the draft. I think you want all three of those first-round draft picks to build your franchise. If you bring in a rookie quarterback and you're building a football team, those other first-round picks matter. Getting an offensive lineman, getting a safety, getting a player that helps your team helps the quarterback. So whatever the quarterback is, pick him at number five because you want to still have those other first-round picks for later in the draft. Don't give up draft picks. You're building a roster. What do you do? What if, let's say, uh, the Chargers trade up and take Tua out from under their feet? What do you do? It's very simple. The Dolphins are fine. Don't panic. You draft Jordan Love, the quarterback out of Utah State. It actually could end up benefiting the Dolphins in the long run. Right now, Tua is ready to play in the NFL. Jordan Love is not. Jordan Love needs to sit. He needs to learn. But he's crazy talented. In fact, Jordan Love is more talented than Tua. Tua is just more polished. He's more prepared for the NFL. The Dolphins, though, have an advantage. They have a stable quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick. They don't need whatever rookie quarterback the Dolphins draft with the number five overall pick. They don't need the guy to play right away. So if you end up drafting Jordan Love instead of Tua, or if Tua's gone and you draft Jordan Love, Jordan Love can sit. He can be there for a while. Let him sit. Let him learn behind Ryan Fitzpatrick. You have a stable quarterback, and that gives you the freedom to do that. Don't trade away your draft picks, your first-round picks. Keep them all. You want to build around whatever rookie quarterback you draft. But right now, what the Dolphins need is a long-term plan at quarterback. Whatever they do, the number five overall pick for the Dolphins needs to solve their long-term problem and give them a long-term plan at quarterback for their franchise. But after that, after getting the quarterback, the Dolphins are actually pretty solid. You know, They made a ton of moves in free agency. There's really not a big weakness or problem with their roster. They, they're solid everywhere. The, the advantage of the Dolphins right now is they aren't desperately trying to fill a certain position. There's not a certain position where they're like, we just we have everything, but we don't have a left tackle. Or we have everything, but we don't have a, a linebacker or a receiver. Like They're solid everywhere. That gives them freedom to just worry about, hey, the best player available with that 18th overall pick, with the 26th overall pick, we're not trying to shoehorn a guy into a role. We can just draft whoever we think is the best player available, and that's really, really freeing. Here's what's interesting. Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, CeeDee Lamb, and Justin Jefferson are four Great receivers available in the NFL draft. I would love Justin Jefferson at the end of the draft. That what at 26th overall pick? I'd be a great pick. Get a good receiver for whatever rookie quarterback you have. That'd be awesome. Maybe get a safety. Remember, you traded away Minka Fitzpatrick. Your team was fine without Minka Fitzpatrick, by the way. But you could get a safety or replace him. What I would do, I think, if I were the Dolphins, I'm, I'm an offensive-minded guy. I know that. Uh, and then if they draft a defensive player they need, great. I would love to see... Number five overall, the Dolphins pick a quarterback. Number 18 overall, the Dolphins pick an offensive lineman, build your offensive line. And then with that last pick in the first round, the 26th overall pick, draft a receiver. Henry Ruggs or Justin Jefferson. 
I don't think Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb will still be there, but if they are, take them, one of them. But one of those top four receivers in the NFL draft should go to the Dolphins. I think it'd be great. Um, and I just, I know that's, it's not needed. Having Justin Jefferson or Henry Ruggs would be a luxury, but that's why you draft him. I mean, you have, you're solid everywhere else. You get an offensive lineman, you get a good receiver, you have a young quarterback, let them build together. And I think it'd be huge and phenomenal. And I love that move a ton. And so I, I really think it's pretty simple for the Dolphins, man. Uh, pick Tua, and then with the rest, just draft the best players available. And now, I don't think that you'll need to trade up. I think you know one of the concerns I mentioned was, what if another team moves up and trades and drafts Tua? Like, What if uh, the Chargers are so afraid of losing Tua, they move up to fourth, they leapfrog the Dolphins and take the quarterback they want? I don't know that that's going to happen very much. I think people are concerned about Tua's injury, and they would rather let another team take him, honestly. And then they'll always be able to say, well, we wanted him, but he wasn't available. We tried, but eh. Because I think some teams are very wary of Tua. What if we draft him and it's a mistake? And it's easier to just say, hey, we, we didn't move a finger. We just stayed put. And by the time we got to our drafting moment, Tua was already gone. Someone else's problem. I think that's dumb. I'm not saying that's smart. If I were a team, I trade up and take Tua because Tua's that good. Like The Chargers should trade up and go get Tua, but they won't. Because they're afraid. They're like, ah, we don't know. Well, if he's there, we'll take him. But he won't be there. And so they like that. That gives them comfort. I'm not saying that's dumb. People, you know, I'm not saying it's right. People are silly. But remember, <laughs> Johnny Manziel was a first-round draft pick. People are human beings. They make irrational, silly mistakes all the time. And because of the injury concerns with Tua, I don't think there's a team that's going to trade up and get Tua. They'd rather take him if he's there. But if they don't end up with Tua and he's someone else's problem and someone else's worry, what if he's healthy? What if he's not? I think they're okay with that too. Again, not saying that's right. I think that's dumb. But people are silly. People make mistakes all the time. I think not drafting Tua would be a huge mistake. But for that reason, the injury concern, it gives them flexibility and tells me I think Tua is still going to be there at five overall when the Dolphins indeed want to draft him. Now, here's another fun question. A really fun question from this NFL draft with the Dolphins is, after you draft a quarterback number five overall, you probably draft Tua. What happens to Josh Rosen? <laughs> what do you do with Josh Rosen? Because, like, uh, the Patriots could use a quarterback. The Patriots would love to have, maybe love to have, I don't know if they would or not. It couldn't hurt the Patriots to have Josh Rosen on their roster. But the Patriots and Dolphins are division rivals. They both play in the AFC East. There's no way. You're going to send Josh Rosen to the Patriots. So where's he going to go? Maybe an AFC team. Probably not, though, because you don't want to trade in your own even conference. You want to trade, likely, Josh Rosen to an NFC team. Maybe maybe the Saints. Maybe the New Orleans Saints. I don't know. I, I, I'm really not sure. You don't want to trade Josh Rosen to a team you're going to have to play regularly in case he does make it, in case he does succeed, because then he's going to be hungry for vengeance and coming after you. But I just, I'm so curious, what will happen to Josh Rosen when, in fact, the Dolphins draft another quarterback? Where is he going to go? What's going to happen to him? It's like a big unknown in this draft is, uh, what about Josh Rosen? He still exists. Is no one going to trade for him? I don't know what's going to happen. So if there's one little thing I'm curious about this draft, this whole draft, it's that one thing in the aftermath. Where does Josh Rosen go after the Dolphins take a quarterback? Do they keep him? This is weird to me. I don't think so. So we'll see what happens. I can't wait to find out. I'm excited for the Dolphins. I think they can't screw it up. Draft Tua. 
draft an offensive lineman and then draft whatever the best player available is. Maybe Justin Jefferson at LSU. That'd be huge. I would love to see that happen. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we are going to talk about, we'll do a Jalen Hurts film analysis. We'll talk about The Last Dance. That's the Michael Jordan documentary. We'll talk about Joe Burrow. Uh, I'll talk about my favorite NFL storyline available other than Josh Rosen. And we will end the show after another break with Ask Zach. Guys, my name is Zach Schalmer. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I got my sleeves rolled up. I don't know if anybody noticed. If you're watching on YouTube, I was trying to roll my sleeves up during the Cincinnati Bengals topic. And I was like, ah, I couldn't do it. And I just gave up. I was like, yeah, not worth the effort. Also, by the way, <laughs> I was... Uh, on my phone during the break I saw this thing that Tom Brady posted on Instagram it's like him ringing a horn like and the the birds fly to the trees and pandemonium happens and then out of the forest runs Rob Gronkowski and Rob Gronkowski goes Gronk reporting for duty sir (laughs) I I love that to me that's hilarious and I um it goes back to what I've been saying I think we're gonna see a more fun more lighthearted Tom Brady who enjoys the experience and that's perfectly on brand and Tom Brady and Gronk. And I love it, man. I think it's going to be a really, really fun journey to watch Tom Brady play in Tampa Bay with Rob Gronkowski with the band and try to compete for a Super Bowl. I just like, I think it's good for football. I think it's good for Tom Brady. It's good for everybody. Like watching Tom Brady get to enjoy his experience and enjoy the journey um, in Tampa Bay is going to be awesome. Now, I've watched the first two episodes of the Michael Jordan Dacky series, The Last Dance. I know that technically it's about the 90s Bulls, but let's be honest, we're all there for Michael Jordan. It's phenomenal. Um, and he, it may not be, I might be wrong about this, but to me, this is the first time I've ever seen Michael Jordan really open up and talk about everything. And it's so cool to watch Michael Jordan um, you know, talk about his childhood, talk about playing basketball against his brothers and his experience in high school and then talking about college. And It's like hearing Michael Jordan's origin story. It's so fun to me. I really enjoy that. Now, the reason why the series is called The Last Dance is because in that 1997-1998 season, and by the way, I hate doing that. Like, pick a year. Is it 98 or 97? Which one is it? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to call it the 98 season when I refer to it in this video because I'm so sick of, like, <laughs> I hate it. Like, 19, the 1997-98 season. No, no, it's the 98 season because it ended in 98. That's when the championship was. Regardless, um, during that year, Phil Jackson, the head coach of the Bulls, who he knew was going to be his last year there. And this was their sixth and final championship run. And so he called it the last dance. This is our last journey, our last trip together. And so the the whole episode, the whole television show, um, it, it's pretty cool the way it unfolded because it tells the story of that 98 season. And then it cuts back and forth, you know, between that last dance season and then what happened to cause the events that took place in that year. What I mean is like, uh, you hear the backstory, like this guy hated this guy and it boiled over in 98, but here's why this guy hated that guy. And it happened in 1985. Like why, what were the origins behind all the things that bubbled over and pulled apart the Chicago bulls after the 98 season. Um, and I, it's so interesting, man. I love it. The villain kind of, of this entire series is Jerry Krause, who was the bulls general manager. And, I mean, he had an ego. He was kind of a, had a little man complex, I literally say it in the show, where he just wanted more credit. And it seems like his desire to get more credit and get more notoriety is what pulled the Bulls apart in the end, which is kind of sad. Like, for example, he decided that Phil Jackson, who is 
the greatest coach ever. He's literally won 11 championships in the NBA, six with the Bulls, five with the Lakers. Jerry Krause didn't want to pay Phil Jackson. It's like, what? What the heck? It's so weird to me. And he never really saw the value of having a coach. He's like, well, the coach is overrated. It's the players. But he also didn't want to pay Scottie Pippen. He has a quote where he said, like, you know, it's an organization that wins a team, not just the players and the whole thing matters. It's like, it's just kind of weird to me. I don't get why you don't want to pay Scottie Pippen. I don't get why you want to bring back Phil Jackson. And it sounds to me like Jerry Krause was a guy who just really struggled with people skills. He struggled to make the people around him feel like they mattered or like they were valuable. Um, and like he's dead now. I don't want to say bad stuff about a guy who's dead. And, and some people, to this credit, some people say he was a great man. He was very kind to the, his children and very nice and yada yada. But it does seem like Jerry Krause is the reason why the Bulls came apart and fell apart at the end. Um, now, you also got to give him credit. He's the reason why the team came together. He hired Phil Jackson. He built the roster. He drafted Scottie Pippen. Like He's the reason why it all came together. But unfortunately, you know, Jerry Krause sounds like also he's the reason why the Bulls fell apart and did not stay together. Um, you know, and I, I don't know. I just recommend it. I really liked it. I, I love the show. I felt like early on I was like I could feel it building towards something, and I just didn't know. I was like, where is this going? And then you have the moment where you know, Phil Jackson says, oh, I have the last dance, and you go, oh, that's why it's called this. And then I got a rhythm where they kept going, you know, Here's what's happening in 1998, but here's the backstory behind it. And that back and forth, I kind of fell into a rhythm. I really liked it. And it's a, it's a great show. I just recommend it. It's a five-week event, which means that there, there are 10 episodes. And every Sunday, there are two new episodes that airs on ESPN, two episodes a week. And I just recommend it. It's glorious television, especially when there's not really anything. I mean, there's literally what other sports are going on. Like, I can't name anything. There's, like, food competitions, I guess. Um, but I... It's really fun to hear the origin story of Michael Jordan, where he came from, uh, the trajectory of his career, where he ended up, and um, he's just so amazing to me. Like Michael Jordan, the one thing that stands out to me about Michael, when I hear people talk about him, when I hear him talk about his career, uh, when you look back at what happened, he was just a true competitor, like the the truest of true pure competitors. The only thing I can think of that reminds me a lot of that actually is Ayrton Senna, who was a Formula One racer. Ayrton Senna was like the best racer of all time. He died actually uh, in a race, but he was such a, he just wanted to win. That's all he cared about. He hated the politics. He hated this. He hated that. He just wanted to race and wanted to beat you on the track. And Michael Jordan was the kind of guy, doesn't care if you're trying to tank and get a draft pick, doesn't want this. He just wants to win. Every time he goes out on the court, He's there to beat your ass and try to win. And I, I, I think I've never cussed on the show before. Oh, my gosh. Well, happened. Uh, I, I really loved that about Michael Jordan. I was like, this is a guy that just gets it. And I really liked it. And I, um, I enjoy watching his story and I enjoy watching Michael Jordan. It's just really cool. I highly recommend it. Go watch The Last Dance. It's phenomenal. Okay, let's do a film analysis of Jalen Hurts. Um, I love Jalen Hurts. He's a former Alabama and Oklahoma quarterback. I love his story. He's a great leader. I'm rooting for the guy. But the question is, what does the film say about Jalen Hurts? And I'll be honest, when I was watching his film, I watched every game the guy played last year. Um, I was surprised. He's better than I expected. I love him. Jalen Hurts is not ready to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And here's why. This is the number one problem Jalen Hurts has is that you know, it all boils down to this. When his team needed him to complete passes into tight windows, 
he wasn't able to do it consistently enough. But that's it, really. That's the only concern I have with Jalen Hurts is, you know, his, he just couldn't consistently enough complete passes in a tight window. So it doesn't mean he didn't have any throws like that. Um, he's got an average arm talent. But I will say, I think that, I mean, he's better than I thought. Now, go watch the LSU game. If you watch LSU versus Oklahoma, you'll see where Jalen Hurts' weaknesses have showed a little bit. Um, or his first game against Baylor. You know, there are, there are moments where, like, ah, Jalen Hurts just isn't quite— I, the word is, I hate this word, but it's talented enough. He's not accurate enough to compete at a high level where he's throwing guys open or throwing guys into tight windows. Um, but here's what I did not expect to say. Here's the thing that really surprised me is, number one, Jalen Hurts is way better than I thought, but he's also really comparable to Dwayne Haskins. I know that sounds weird, uh, and I know that Dwayne Haskins is obviously not as good a runner. Jalen Hurts is way better of a runner than Dwayne Haskins was, but when it comes to the decision-making paradigm and throwing the ball, um, even their mechanics, Jalen Hurts is oddly, oddly similar to Dwayne Haskins. And I, I actually very, very honestly think that Dwayne Haskins, or excuse me, uh, Jalen Hurts, is better than everybody's giving him credit for. Um, now, because it's, it's weird, Dwayne Haskins was a first-round pick and a, a unanimous first-round pick. Jalen Hurts is like, is he going to go in the third round? People have no idea what to do with Jalen Hurts. Um, now, I will say, I wish Jalen Hurts drove the ball better downfield. Um, I wish he was a tad more accurate. I'd love to see Jalen Hurts uh, work with uh, Jordan Palmer, trained with him in L.A., because I think he could really improve his mechanics if he worked with J- uh, Jordan Palmer, the quarterback trainer. But here's the crazy thing to me. Jalen Hurts made a ton of great decisions. I mean, a ton of them. Now, he's a work in progress for sure. But usually all the limitations that Jalen Hurts had were physical, was his ability to drive the ball into a tight window or be accurate enough. Um, you know, coaches have to ask themselves, what would you rather teach? When a quarterback comes in the NFL, you have to teach him something. Either you have to teach him how to read a defense and how to do mental processing, or you have to teach him how to throw the ball and be more accurate and have better footwork, yada, yada. Um, now, usually NFL coaches draft a raw, talented guy like Josh Allen or Jordan Love or Patrick Mahomes because they go, you know what? He's got all the arm talent. We can teach him how to read a defense. But I think if any coach has kind of an opposite philosophy, they could take Jalen Hurts and go, Jalen Hurts knows how to make good decisions. He knows when to throw the ball away, when he's extending a play. He knows how to read a defense. He's got timing down. He's got all this down. We just need to work with Jalen Hurts on accuracy and foot placement and driving the ball a little better with his mechanics. If he can do that, if Jalen Hurts can improve as a thrower, he really could succeed in the NFL. He's he's way better at decision-making than I would have ever thought. I was like, oh my gosh, Jalen Hurts is throwing the ball to the right spot nearly every play, actually. And he's doing high-level processing. It's, it's really cool and interesting to watch. I loved it. Um, now, honestly, I, his habits are what I like. I love Jalen Hurts' habits. And what's really interesting is that every time I watched Jalen, he got better. You know, two years ago at Alabama, he was a much, much different quarterback than he is today entering the NFL. And I believe to some degree, people totally wrote him off when he lost the job at Alabama to Tua. People stopped monitoring his growth. They're like, well, he's not good enough, bye. And people stopped paying attention. Now, the legacy to me of Jalen Hurts' college career is work ethic and consistent improvement. He was always getting better every time you watched him. And I think it's highly likely he keeps improving. Even throughout the course of the year, there was growth. He got better. Uh, As the year went on, he got better working through progressions and getting to his third and his fourth read. 
and he was a better passer by the end of the year. And he threw a back shoulder throw for a touchdown against Baylor in the Big 12 Championship. I went, oh, that back shoulder seam wasn't there week one. He's better at throwing. It was great ball location. I really think people struggle to change their opinion of a player or of a person. Uh, observing growth of a person or any, in any, whether it's sports or not, when someone changes, it's hard to notice that. It's hard to pick up on it. Observing growth is difficult. I think it's why some people are even having a hard time embracing Joe Burrow as a number one overall pick. Joe Burrow, two years ago, was a sixth-round pick, a seventh-round pick. And many people still see Joe Burrow the way they saw him two years ago rather than what he is today. Jalen Hurts is better today than he was two years ago than he was even three years ago at Alabama. When he was a starter at Alabama and you know played the national championship as a freshman, he was a much different, much less polished quarterback than he is today. Jalen Hurts still has problems, but the decision-making, when I see that, when I watch the way he processes defense, he can look off the safety. There's a play where, against, I can't remember who it is, he looks to the right, the safety, the corner comes down, the safety moves over the top, the other safety on the left side of the field moves over to the right to cover a deep dig, and the pulse on the backside comes wide open, he goes, bang, 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 number four read, throws the ball, touchdown, and you're like, that's high-level stuff, man. He's processing defenses at a crazy high level or recognizing pre-snap. Hey, there's a blitzer. I got to throw the ball to the left side, to the hitch, rather than taking the, the sack. Like Little stuff like that, I go, Jalen Hurts is processing defenses at a really high level that I love. I would draft Jalen Hurts in a heartbeat. I really would, and I love him. I love his character. I love everything. But it's not just that. If you can teach him how to throw the ball a little better, he's got it. He's a franchise quarterback. It's crazy. I never thought I would have said that, but it's true. Especially if you can get Jalen Hurts in the second or third round. That's what my fear. The Patriots might do that. That's the thing that's scary is what if the Patriots find a way to get Jalen Hurts in like the second round and he becomes their franchise quarterback and you're like, oh, crap. He's a perfect he's a perfect Bill Belichick kind of guy. He could work. You got to teach him how to throw a little bit better. But Jalen Hurts is a lot better than people are giving him credit for. His big problem is throwing. And most people are like, if you have a problem throwing up, like I think I literally heard someone say they're like, the thing with Jalen Hurts is he struggles throwing the ball. He got benched, by the way, years ago because he struggled throwing the ball. It's like, yeah, he used to struggle throwing the ball. He's better now, but you can also teach him how to be a little better with mechanics. Little simple things with footwork would make Jalen Hurts demonstrably better. That's why I think if any, there's one guy in the draft, if there's one person in the draft who could go in the later rounds and succeed in the NFL, like we saw Dak Prescott a couple years ago get drafted in the fourth round. Come to the NFL, get better coaching, become the Cowboys franchise quarterback. Or we saw Gardner Minshew go, I think, in the fifth or sixth round. Starting quarterback now for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Nobody saw it coming. If there's a guy you see it coming from Jalen, it's Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is the kind of guy who could get totally overlooked and make it happen. And I'm not just saying that. I'm not just saying it because I'm a fan of who he is, the way he carries himself. I really see on film a quarterback who has the mental processing for the NFL He's just got to pair it up with his ability to throw the ball. If he learns how to throw the ball a little better, tweaks his mechanics, has better footwork, he's got it. And by the way, bringing Jalen Hurts into your building is the kind of move where you just can't lose. Maybe Jalen Hurts comes into your, your quarterback room, develops, and becomes your starting quarterback. But if nothing else, if you draft Jalen Hurts, he's such a good leader, and he's the kind of guy you want in your locker room. And he's not going to cause a problem. If he's the backup quarterback, he will not cause a problem with the starting quarterback because when he was behind Tua at Alabama, he was fine. He was great, in fact. He was helping the team. He was high-fiving Tua. He was a positive impact 
on their locker room. I just think having Jalen Hurts on your football team is a positive no matter what the outcome is. He's so great and he's so good to have around. But again, his decision-making in Oklahoma was too good to ignore. The way he processes defenses to me, I go, Jalen Hurts is way better than I would have thought. Again, his obvious work ethic to me is makes it seem to me like he's the kind of guy who could get better. He's also great at improvising and extending plays. Uh, he's really accurate in the middle of the field. There's some throws where he throws a post route to CeeDee Lamb. You're like, that's on the money into a tight window. Uh, I wish he threw the ball better on the outside and the perimeter, whether he's driving the ball on a comeback or a 10-yard out or a fade. All his throws to the sideline are not as good as they could be, but a lot of that also is footwork. If you improve your footwork, we saw this with uh, Lamar Jackson coming out of the NFL draft, is in college he threw the ball really well down the middle of the field, but when his feet weren't pointed in the right spot, it really affected the way he threw the ball. And some of that's release, some of that's little stuff, but little mechanical things can be tweaked to make Jalen Hurts into a good enough quarterback. Um, now, here's the thing he cannot carry over from college. If there's one thing Jalen Hurts did in college he can't do in the NFL, it's that at Oklahoma, there were a bunch of designed quarterback runs. And hey, in the NFL, an occasional run, I love it. But if you want to extend the play, great. I love it. But let's lighten up the power, quarterback power in the middle. I don't want to see quarterback power where he's catching the ball, has a lead blocker, and he's running directly in the middle of the field like a running back. I don't want my quarterback doing that. I, I just don't think it's a good idea. And people often compare Jalen Hurts to Lamar Jackson. That's a mistake. Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts have very, very different running abilities. Lamar Jackson is lightning fast. He's the kind of guy where in an instant he's gone. I've seen people who coach on the sideline with him and they go, I've never seen a guy who one second was here and the next second was 50 yards away. And you're like, how did he do that? He's gone. That's not the kind of runner Jalen Hurts is. Jalen Hurts is more likely to lower his shoulder and run over you than he is to run around you. And that means you take a lot more hits. You get hit more often. Um, he, he, watch, Lamar Jackson is very smart at avoiding taking shots. That's not the case necessarily with Jalen Hurts. Um, and maybe a team wants to put Jalen Hurts into a role similar to Taysom Hill with the New Orleans Saints. But honestly, I think he's better than being relegated to a role like that. Uh, Jalen Hurts is a guy who could develop into a franchise quarterback. I never thought I would say that, but I, I really think it's there. Again, I, I love him. Some people are scared off by his arm talent. I look at Jalen Hurts, what he did on film, the way he processes defenses, the person he is, all that stuff. I go, if I'm a coach, I would love to work with Jalen Hurts. I would love it so much. Uh, decision-making is the hardest part about playing quarterback, and he's got that side down. He's ahead of some of the other guys. When it comes to processing defenses, he's ahead of some of the guys who are going to get drafted in the first round, and that's, to me, a surprise. But because of his ability to process defenses, if Jalen Hurts goes to the right team and is given time to develop, if he's given time to develop, then Jalen Hurts could become a franchise quarterback in the NFL. Okay, um, Joe Burrow is about to become the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. And it, it was really interesting. He did an interview with Albert Breer, who is a reporter for Sports Illustrated. And Joe Burrow said that he knew he was going to have a good year. Like going into last year, he knew he was going to do well. But he said he never expected he would be 
that being the number one overall pick was even in the realm of possibility. He never knew that he was going to have a chance to be the number one overall pick. He never expected that. And I really don't blame Joe Burrow for feeling that way. Uh, two years ago, I thought Joe Burrow was going to be a sixth or seventh round draft pick, if not undrafted, because I was like, this guy doesn't have any, no polish, his arm strength is average, yada, yada. And then Joe Burrow got way, way better, better at processing defenses, more accurate, more confident, better footwork. And I can't help but recognize that Joe Burrow and Baker Mayfield have had really, really similar journeys. Their stories are very fascinating and similarly intertwined. Um, They were both underdogs. Remember, Baker Mayfield had to walk on in college twice, walk on at Texas Tech and then again at Oklahoma. And nobody expected going into last year that Joe Burrow was going to win a Heisman Trophy. Well, they both did win a Heisman Trophy. They both will likely be the number one overall pick. But I believe that Joe Burrow is going to be able to handle the journey better uh, than Baker Mayfield did. I don't think people understand. I think people really don't get how hard it is to shift your perspective from an underdog to a front runner. You have to change your motivation because the story you tell yourself suddenly isn't true anymore. You know, Baker said he always told himself, nobody believes in me. And for a while he was right. When he was a walk-on at Texas Tech, nobody believed in him. When he was a walk-on at Oklahoma, nobody thought he was like, who's Baker Mayfield? He's not going to win a Heisman Trophy. Then he won the Heisman Trophy. Then he became the number one overall pick. Then he had an exciting rookie year. And then Baker Mayfield's team traded for Odell Beckham Jr. Suddenly out of nowhere. Going to his second year last year, Baker Mayfield had expectations on him. People were like, Baker's going to be maybe an MVP candidate. And when people suddenly are betting on you to succeed, it can screw with your head when you're not used to it. I've dealt with this twice in my life. Um, You know, in high school, I had a coach who told me I was too small. I'd never play in college. So what I did is I transferred high schools to a different school where I had a chance to play. I balled out. I broke records there. I, we won, made it to the playoffs. I won more games in my first year at my second high school than I ever had my entire life playing football before that. And I made it to college. And when I got to college, I had a problem because for two years, my whole mental paradigm, everything I'd been telling, my, telling myself is, screw that coach. You're going to make it to college to prove him wrong. He can mm, screw that guy. Once I made it to college, though, I'd done it. I'd proven that guy wrong. All my motivation had been, screw that guy. And once I got to college, I had to figure out a new motivation because the story I was telling myself no wrong, no longer worked anymore. Same with the podcast. I remember when I was an underdog doing a podcast, no one believed in me. I was doing episodes in a basement. Nobody watched. And I, when I, I had to tell myself, like, A different story. When I got to 100,000 subscribers and suddenly people were watching, the story I was telling myself wasn't true anymore. I kept telling myself, nobody believes in me. Nobody wants to listen to your show. You got to get, you got to keep working. You got to do this. And my underdog story wasn't quite accurate anymore. Success can screw with your head a little bit. And I believe Joe Burrow is going to go through a little bit of something similar where he's going to have to learn how to adjust his mindset. But I think Joe Burrow is going to handle it a little bit better than Baker. When Baker was a front runner, he struggled. And I, I really think that Baker is going to have to adjust his motivation and adjust the story he tells himself. Now, Joe Burrow, for the first time in a while, is going to have expectations on him. People are going to, he's going to be number one overall pick. He's going to be, he's a Heisman Trophy winner. People expect Joe Burrow to be great. He's going to have to adjust the story he tells himself and adjust his motivation. And I think he's going to be able to do it. 
And I think he'll be able to handle that journey a lot better than Baker Mayfield did in his second year at in Cleveland with the Cincinnati with the what am I saying with the Cleveland Browns. Well, God, why does Ohio have two teams that both start with C? That's difficult for me. Um, anyways, I, I just think that <laughs> that's silly. Like, obviously, I'm not serious, um, but I, I think that I think that Joe Burrow is going to handle the journey better than Baker Mayfield did in the, with the Browns so far. I think Baker's got time to figure it out. But we saw Baker stumble in year two. I think part of that was what he was telling himself. That story, the motivation wasn't quite there. It wasn't quite right. And he had to right the ship. And I think Joe Burrow is going to go through a similar thing. But he can handle it better. Okay. Um, I'm so curious. Which team will be the first team to draft a receiver in the NFL draft? I have no idea. And then which receiver will be the first one to get drafted? I'm fascinated, man. There are four great receivers in this draft. Uh, there are a top three. Jerry Judy out from Alabama. Henry Ruggs the third, also from Alabama, and CeeDee Lamb from Oklahoma. And then there's a guy named Justin Jefferson from LSU who's phenomenal that nobody's really talking about. I watched this film from LSU. I go, Justin Jefferson's phenomenal. Um, he might be better than even, he might be the third best receiver in the draft. He might be a first-round receiver. No one's talking about him. Now, what's interesting to me is many people predict that there's not going to be a receiver drafted in the top 10. Uh, I, I, maybe. It wouldn't surprise me if that didn't happen. We'll talk about why and why not that why that might not happen. Um, but it's possible a team just gets greedy because these receivers are just too good. I, I, I just don't. I, maybe a team gets greedy and goes, you know what? We could use this, but we're going to take a receiver because we want to make our offense better. And CD Lamb or Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs is just that good, and we're going to take him. Now there are three teams in the top ten who might draft a receiver. Uh, the Giants. Could, dra- could use one. The Panthers, there's, a, there's an argument to be made why the Panthers would take one, even though they don't need one. And then the Jaguars might. So the Giants are probably, in my opinion, the Giants are the most unlikely team to draft a receiver in the top 10 because, you know, they, they had a receiver, Odo Beckham Jr. They traded him away. That was a pretty much a big statement from the organization. We don't highly value receivers the same way other people do. And also, you know, they need an offensive lineman. I think that's what the Giants should do and where they should go. Now, maybe the Panthers. The Panthers have a new offensive coordinator, Joe Brady. Maybe they're like, hey, Joe Brady wants some weapons. Let's go get him a receiver. Now, they do have DJ Moore. They don't really need a receiver, so they're probably not. Uh, maybe the Jaguars. Jaguars have a young quarterback, Gardner Minshew. Maybe they go get Gardner a top receiver. Wouldn't shock me there. But I have no doubt there are two teams I very strongly believe are going to draft a receiver in the NFL draft in the first round. It's the New York Jets and the Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles had a, they made the playoffs. I mean, Carson Wentz was phenomenal last year and didn't have the weapons he needed. He didn't have a great receiving core. Go get Jerry Judy. Go get CeeDee Lamb. Give Carson Wentz a top receiver to work with. Oh my gosh. He would be so happy. He needs it. (laughs) The Eagles could get two receivers. They could go get, Maybe Jerry Judy and Justin Jefferson. I mean, go get receivers for Carson Wentz, please, for the love of God. The Jets also need a receiver. They need help. They have a young quarterback, Sam Darnold, who needs more weapons. I believe the Jets and the Eagles are going to draft a receiver. But I'm just curious, man, which one are they going to take? Who who do the Jets consider to be the best receiver in the draft? I've been asking all my sources. I've been watching film. I can't really tell. There's not a clear number one. They're all just, they're different and all interesting and all good. And so, um, I don't know, man. There's four names. CeeDee Lamb, 
Justin Jefferson, Henry Ruggs, and Jerry Judy, how many of them are going to get drafted in the first round? And which receiver is going to be the first one off the board? There are four great receivers. Which one will people take? Um, I can't wait to see what happens, and I, I'm really fascinated. That's probably my favorite storyline other than the quarterbacks in the NFL draft. What's going to happen with the receivers? Who's going to take a receiver? And which one goes first? All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we will do Ask Zach, and then that'll be the show. We have a great Ask Zach, though. A lot of questions from you guys about USC, about uh, just fun stuff. We'll get into it. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break, and I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, It's time for my favorite part of the show, Ask Zach. It's where we read questions from the audience. Uh, The way you submit a question is you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want. Please do. It literally pays my rent. Um, But you give a dollar a month. You can submit questions on Patreon. And then what I do is I go on Patreon. I look at all the questions. I pick the top couple questions to read at the end of the show and answer them. I don't guarantee to read every single question. Uh, My guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. And then I pick the top couple and read them on the show. But the way to submit a question, you pay a dollar a month. You go to Patreon. I look at every question with my eyeballs and uh, pick the top ones to read on the show. Again, thank you to the people on Patreon. I'm so grateful. Uh, Patreon has had a huge impact on my life. It makes a huge difference, uh, more than you could ever know, especially right now when uh, like everyone knows what's going on in the world. Corona, coronavirus is uh, making everything really difficult. And so um, I'm just really grateful for the people out there on Patreon. You know who you are. I talk to you guys. I want to make it very clear, man. You guys have um, probably saved, you know, starting in sports, has been okay in the last month, but Patreon has really been the anchor it needed. And so um, Patreon, man, has been a huge help and um, made a lot of things possible the last month uh, with Strong Opinion Sports. And uh, especially during this time, I'm really grateful. So Jonah writes in first. <laughs> a fun one. We'll start with a fun one. Jonah says, could you give an in-depth analysis comparing the pros and cons between Pepsi and Coke? Um, so what I'm going to say about Coke, I'll say this. Um, you know, Coke versus Pepsi. My dad is a massive, massive Coke fan. He's a Coke guy through and through. And he would not like that I'm about to admit this. Um, I like both. I like Coke. I like Pepsi. Uh, my dad's like, if my dad, he, my dad is alive, but if he was dead, he'd roll over in his grave. Like my dad's, he's like, what? Son, how dare you? <laughs> he jokingly say that. Uh, but I'll be honest, if I'm somewhere and all they have is Pepsi, I'll drink it and I'll drink it happily. It's a good, it's good. It's fine. Um, I know there's people on both sides now are mad and be like, how could you like both? What's wrong with you? Um, but I mean, give me like a BLT and, you know, give me an ice cold, like literally put ice in it. Give me Pepsi or Coke. I'm happy. I, I, that sounds like an amazing meal to me. Um, I, I will say this warm Coke. War- I've never had warm Pepsi, but warm Coke in particular is just nasty. Like the, when it's warm, it makes this like foamy like film on your your gums and your teeth. It's like ugh, nastiest thing. Now I will say this: um, my girlfriend and I, we got quarantined with six cases of <laughs> cherry vanilla Coke, and cherry vanilla Coke is incredible. It's amazing. Uh, we went shopping right before quarantine happened. Like I think the day before the president declared national uh, you know national emergency we went to the store and bought a bunch of stuff and stocked up and i think because I, I i was lucky right i found out like sports got all shut down and i said you know there's no real official quarantine yet but we should probably not go outside we went and bought a bunch of stuff like groceries and stuff to save you know stock up 
And when we were at the store, um, we were checking out. We'd gotten, we really wanted to try cherry vanilla Coke. And there was a special where you get, buy two, get one for free, cherry vanilla Coke. And I was like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. And we're checking out, and the lady goes, you know what? There's another offer. If you buy three, you get three for free. And we're like, are you serious? So uh, she's like, yeah, just pay for these three. And then as you leave, just go grab three more cases of cherry vanilla Coke. And I was like, well, like it's a good deal. I mean, I'm, I was already going to pay for two. I might as well pay for one more. It's like it's like four more dollars. Um, and uh, five, five, $5. I think it was $5. My point was it was $10 or $15, and you get three more extra things of Coke. I was like, it's a good deal. We'll be home forever. Like, why not? Um, kind of, I think we literally were just like, I, I told my girl, I was like, well, like, YOLO, like, why not? Like, we've been wanting this thing forever. We finally wanted to try cherry vanilla Coke, and we ended up with way more than we thought we would ever get. And <laughs> we're now addicted. Cherry vanilla Coke is like, we literally jokingly call it. <laughs> It's gonna kill me. We call it the nectar of the gods. Like it's the <laughs> she'll like walk in, like crack a coke, and he's like, I have brought the nectar of the gods. <laughs> so this is not a commercial, this is not sponsored. Cherry vanilla coke is just phenomenal. It's so good through and through, man. Um I, I tell all my friends, uh it's it's amazing. If you can have cherry vanilla coke, it brings me a lot of joy. It's really good. You put some ice and oh, it's phenomenal. So that's what I want to say about Pepsi versus Coke. I'm pretty indifferent, but I will say cherry vanilla Coke, which you can only buy through Coke. Special, special, phenomenal stuff. Now, Cole writes in. Um, Cole says, hey, Zach, you've mentioned working in Pullman a couple of times. I currently work in the equipment room at W2, and I was wondering how you enjoyed your time there. Also, what do you think of the new head coach? He's definitely way better than Leach was as a person, but I don't know about his coaching. I just want Washington State to beat the Huskies at the Apple Cup since Leach apparently was completely incompetent in doing that um cool so so when he says pullman he means pullman washington which is where the university of washington state i guess washington state university is um i i used to go there for school uh i used to i was really involved with their football program there um mike leach is i don't know how to say this <laughs> um he was a pain in the the rear mike leach was um not really a great dude to be around He's a, like a legendary coach. He's won a lot. I have no doubt Rolovich, the new head coach in, at Washington State, is way better. Um, honestly, for the health of Washington State, the, the university, I think Rolovich is a better coach all around. Um, now, Pullman, you know, it's interesting. I, I prepared some notes here. And I look back on my time in Pullman at Washington State pretty fondly. Uh, but Pullman did not feel like a good time for me in the moment. Uh, I hated school. I hated school so much. I really, really, um, I'll talk about it later. You know, I, there was a moment when my brother died four years ago where internally for me, it just shifted my, my nonsense meter. Like to the, I, I have no tolerance for nonsense. I hate it so much. And I felt like consistently at Washington state in my classes, particularly in the journalism program, I just kept running into nonsense where it's like, why, why, is it, why is it structured this way? This is dumb. It was really old. It was outdated. Um, my professors hated YouTube. They literally would talk down on it and say, oh, you're a stupid little blog. And you know, I, one of my professors literally told me I would never succeed on YouTube. He can uh, screw that guy. I will always be a little bit, mm, I hate, that guy really, really, I hated him so much. Um, and when I was in Pullman, all I did was make videos. All I did was make content. I had no social life, and I, I kind of relished that. I had some friends there because I went to high school with some guys who were still there. 
and they would invite me to stuff. And I kind of felt good actually saying, no, I'm going to stay home and work on my YouTube channel, work on my podcast, record an episode tonight. All I did was work and go to school and make content 24-7, all I did. Uh, I, I rarely slept. When I did sleep, I slept on the floor. I had a mattress that I laid on the floor. If anyone watched my Instagram story back then, I had some fo- a little a little bit of a following back then. I used to put my mattress on the floor, and it wasn't recording. I would put it up in the corner, just out of view of the camera. Um, and then at night, when I wasn't recording, I'd put it back on the floor and sleep on it. Um, but you know, Pullman was the hardest time of my life because you know I, I just was constantly working. All I was doing was I hate I just hated school, and all I wanted to do was work on my YouTube channel. Like I'm so I'm really lucky. I should be very very. Uh, appreciative now, I don't have to worry about my classes. I can worry about f- making the show, and that's all I have to worry about. And I remember back in the day, I'd be sitting and I had to take entomology, which is the study of bugs, for a journalism degree, by the way, which never made sense to me at all. I'm, I'm sitting in entomology, which again, why should a journalism student have to take the study of bugs to get a journalism degree? I never understood that. I hated it with a passion. But I'm sitting in my bug class, writing notes about you know whatever was going. I think. I think it was the NFL draft or something. I was just, I just remember vividly like writing about sports in my classes, not paying attention at all to my classes, focused on my, my show. And um, I'm pretty glad that it worked out in the end because I, I made it and it has succeeded. Um, now, the last semester I was in Pullman, I did play flag football. That was probably the highlight of my time there. I made some really good friends. Uh, we won a bunch. I got to play quarterback. I'm like, oh, man, it really invigorated this need to – it made me want to play football again. It was just awesome. Um, but, you know, the highlight of my time was either flag football in Pullman or uh, my time working for sports networks. I did a lot of cool jobs. I worked for ESPN. I worked for Fox. I worked for Pac-12 Network. I met Gardner Minshew one time. Um, I got to do a bunch of interviews and stuff. Uh, I worked for College Game Day. got to meet Kirk Herbstreet and – uh, that was pretty cool. I like, to meet the whole guys and I, Desmond Howard and um, get to film a little bit for them. For me, like Pullman, I don't know. I, as I talk about it and as I think about it, my time at university, at Washington, I always want to call it University of Washington State, which is just totally wrong. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but Pullman for me was pretty peaceful. It was a, a great place to focus. Um, but I just hated my classes. Everything else was solid. And I remember like sunsets there were beautiful and it would snow and it was quiet and I could I just felt so focused there. I actually had some friends at the University of Idaho, which is eight miles away. I was seeing a girl for the while for a while at Idaho. Uh, and it was just cool. Or I, I had other friends. My ex girlfriend actually lived in uh Cheney and you know, we went to she went to eastern Washington and I would go visit her and it just for me was a very focused, very like quiet space with only young people and I liked that. Um and it was nice to be away from my family actually. So I I don't know. I, I hated my classes, but everything else, Pullman is kind of a, I look back on it where like I, I didn't hate it as much as I, maybe I feel like I did now. I really hated that professor who did not believe in YouTube and didn't believe in me. Um, and that probably soured my opinion of Pullman a little bit, but as a place to work and focus and do my thing, it was uh perfect for that. Had a great workout facility. And, um, you know, as I look back, I think I liked Pullman a little bit more uh, than I probably remember because it sounds like as I talk about it and as the feelings come back I'm just ranting now but um, what a special time like you know it's just a I'll never get that I'll never go back probably ever to Pullman uh, I'll never have those moments there's a lot of people and friends and um, like my ex-girlfriend I, I remember going to visit her that was cool like that's a, a time I just have nostalgia for it maybe where it's like oh 
I, I probably sound like an insane person, but I, I just, I'm just, as I'm thinking about it, there's all this nostalgia, which is like the, it's a definition for a little bit of a sadness for a memory of the past, which is like a, I, I look back fondly and go, man, that was a, a special time that I probably should have enjoyed a little more. Um, enjoy college, man. If you ever go away to school, enjoy it. And I'm not saying you don't have to be focused. I'm not saying you don't have to work. I'm not saying you have to party anything. All I'm saying is remember to appreciate what you have when you're there. I think that's the one thing I would have done more is look back and gone, like taking a deep breath occasionally and said, you know what? Things are pretty good because I have it really good now and I, I certainly appreciate it now. I think I had it better than I thought back then too. I just was really driven and always working, probably always tired. So, yeah, I don't know. Okay, uh, Pro writes in. Pro says, hey, Zach, you've been kidnapped. Your kidnappers allow you to keep tweeting and posting to pretend that everything is all right. What would you tweet or post to alarm your followers without the kidnappers knowing that you're asking for help? <laughs> oh, I love this one because I, so I, 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 the minute I read this, on the, I was like, I knew exactly what I would say. And it's kind of funny to me um, because I have to send a, a subtle message. But people would have to read it and know that something is wrong. <laughs> and so what I would tweet, I would tweet, stats never lie. Stats are always accurate and only draft really tall, tall quarterbacks. Tall quarterbacks with good stats, that's all I care about. <laughs> if, I say, if I tweeted, stats are never wrong or stats never lie, no, I'm, I'm kidnapped. I'm in danger. <laughs> I don't believe that at all. I, I really... I don't have to explain the joke. If you listen to the show, you get it. Um, but I, that's what I would tweet. If I was ever in trouble, if you ever see me tweet, stats never lie. Stats are never wrong. Or maybe see me put that on my Instagram story. I have a gun to my head. I'm being kidnapped. That's the only time I would ever say that. It's if it was a cry for help, a subtle message to make sure people knew I was in danger and saying things that are totally, totally false. <laughs> and if, if I, Okay, I will explain it. I hate how people manipulate stats in sports all the time. They pick random little facts that are not relevant to a story at all and go, well, you know, ESPN does this all the freaking time. I hate ESPN so much. They'll be like, I, I literally saw a segment the other day where it was on GetUp and Mike Greenberg goes, well, here are the stats because it, it was labeled the, 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 the topic said, let's look at the film for Jordan Love. And this you know, the topic started with, well, here are the stats of, Josh Allen and Jordan Love and Mike Greenberg goes, well, it's good to have a, a comparison. It's like, is it? Like, is, it's not valuable at all. They didn't even, they just, the reason why most people use stats, especially ESPN, I work, I used to work with them, is they, they need something on the screen to fill time and it makes them feel good about themselves and makes it like, oh, we can see something visual. Like, there's no actual relevance or helpfulness to stats. Often they're just kind of nonsense and they don't make any sense so if i was in trouble and had a gun in my head and needed help and needed to get, send a subtle message i would say stats never lie because i totally disagree with that with all of my heart and passionately i hate when people say that i really really strongly disagree with that sentence okay jeff boyardee writes in and he says hey zach if you had never even thought of starting a podcast where do you think you would be in life right now what career do you think you would be in and where would its trajectory be looking like it was going for better or worse. Also, do you picture yourself being as happy in whatever alternate reality where you didn't start the podcast? Thanks for the content. Keep it rolling, brother. Sincerely from Raiders territory, <laughs> the only Chargers fan within a hundred mile radius or farther. Um, so the origins of this podcast and this show um, are that it started, I started it after my younger brother died four years ago. 
Um, and if my younger brother Zane, so Zane took his life. Zane committed suicide. Um, and if Zane hadn't done that, I probably never would have become a content creator or a podcaster or a sports broadcaster. Um, I was on a much more normal trajectory, honestly. Um, I was playing college football. I was at school. Had a longtime girlfriend of two years. Uh, I had was getting you know headed towards a degree in finance. Had no idea what I wanted to do with that, but like a business degree sounds good enough, you know. Um, and I, I've thought about occasionally, what, you know, like especially what if what if the show fell apart tomorrow? What would I go do? Um, I'd probably go coach football, honestly. Um, but if if I worked as a normal, if I did a normal job, I'd probably go back to school and I'd get a degree um, as an engineer or like an architect honestly. Um, and I think now that I've done this show and I've worked for myself and I've been alone, I could probably have the discipline now to go do school better and do it right. Um, but I, I, would I be happy? No, I'd never be as satisfied. I, I am so fulfilled. I, I love doing the show. I love working for myself. I like having the freedom to talk about what I want to talk about. You know, I get, I get offers occasionally to go work for big networks and I don't take them. I really don't want to do that. Um, I could make a lot more money probably if I didn't work alone and didn't have, you know, if I had more help and had a network behind me. Um, but I don't want to work for ESPN. I don't want to have a boss telling me what I can and can't say. I want to have the freedom to call ESPN out when I want to. And um, I don't want to have to worry about like, I think some people that work for certain networks are like, well, can we talk about the last dance? It's an ESPN production. And, you know, we were a different network and we don't have the last dance and we don't want to promote another network's thing. It's like, I don't want to worry about any of the politics of that. I like just talking and saying what I believe. Um, but, you know, after my brother died, I really changed a lot. Um, I lost my, my tolerance for nonsense. It made school really hard for me because I, I, I remember vividly, like, why does a journalism major, a guy, I was studying journalism to try to get a journalism and media production degree because, like, well, I want to be a sports broadcaster. I always knew once I went to Washington State, that was my career path. And I was like, why does a guy who wants to talk about sports for a living have to take entomology, the study of bugs? That's ridiculous. It's nonsense. I still, to this day, I'm like, you're just stealing my money. You're trying to get money from me. I don't want to, I want a journalism degree, not a bug degree. Don't make me pay for the bug class. You're just taking my money. Why are you doing that? I, and I just <laughs> see the emotional trigger right there. I hate, and I had professors that didn't like me. And I had all these, just like, I had to write about stories that were nonsense. Like, it just, it was a lot of nonsense. College for me, especially at Washington State, was so much ridiculous, just filler nonsense. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, and I just, the, the, you know, strong in sports was the only thing that brought me any peace when I was really struggling and hadn't having a hard time. And when I hated school, um, and you know, it's a weird balance having the show be my job because for the longest time, and even now I don't do strong opinion sports for money. It makes money. Thank God, you know, I can live and, um, exist, but I do the show because I love doing it because it's, it's passion for me. Um, and when the passion isn't there, I actually don't make content. There was a, a break after coronavirus started and the XFL died. There was a week for like, a, there was a week and a half where I didn't make any content because I was just was feeling depressed and burned out and I didn't have the passion I do. And so when I don't have passion, I don't make the show because I, I just don't think it's, I think I make the best content when I'm talking about stuff I love and I care about. Um, and I know that's not great. And I know advertisers hate hearing that and that's not good. And even, I hope even my followers hear that. And are not concerned by that because I, I know that consistency matters and giving them a consistent product. And that's why I work so hard on my mental health to keep myself in a good place. But 
Um, if there's nothing to talk about, there's nothing to talk about. And if there's nothing worth talking about, why are we doing it? I just don't want to become... I see all these shows right now talking about nothing and filler nonsense, and I just don't want to be that guy. And I don't want to do it because I have to. I want to make the show because I love doing it, and I think it really matters. And I think if you can do a career that you're doing because you love it, that's the right way to do it. And so... Um, I don't know. Would I be as happy in an alternate reality? Um, you know, when my brother died, when Zane died, um, it just, sorry. I think that, um, I, th- I think when Zane died, trying not to cry, um, it made me want to be happy. It made me want to pursue uh, a career I liked. It made me want to wake up every day and enjoy my life. And I, I so much do that now. I, I so much love what I do. I so much love my life. I, I'm so grateful for everything. And I, to people listen, listening, I, I can't express enough to me, to you guys, how much it means to me to be able to do the job I do. To talk about sports for a living, it's a dream. It's amazing. And without Zane dying, I never would have tried to do it. I never would have even pursued that at all um you know before he died my plans never included enjoying life i never thought about i never i never thought about like should i enjoy my life should i do something i like it never occurred to me to even worry about that really um and when zane died i was so miserable and so depressed and i was like i just want to do what i like i just so badly don't want to do a job i hate if i'm gonna you work i work 90 percent of my life i i you know, how many, there are 24 hours in a day, you sleep for, I sleep for like five. So I work uh, most of my day, like how, what's, what's 24 minus five, 19. So I work probably 16 hours a day, all day. It's just, it's what I do, but I love it. And I, I watch a ton of film and I do a bunch of research really hard. And um, I, I wanted to do something I like. Now, even as Corona's happened, I've definitely slowed down. And I have moments where I'm, I'm watching the show called Outer Banks. It's phenomenal. I'm drinking cherry vanilla coke. I'm hanging out with my girlfriend who's amazing. We go bike riding. Um, trying to focus on enjoying life. But that enjoying my life was never something I cared about until Zane died. I just was so laser focused on football and becoming a finance major and getting the house and the white picket fence. And I never cared about being happy. So, I, look, I'm just rambling a little bit today on these questions. I don't mean to, but um, I think it matters, man. I, I really... I decided to enjoy my life, and that happened because of my brother dying. And so, Jeff Boyardee, uh, in an alternate reality, I'm probably not as happy because I never would have had the thought, hey, maybe I should be happy. Maybe that's okay. With your eyeballs rights in, he says, when you're making... So, <laughs> I'm going to restart. With your eyeballs rights in, he says, you're making a quarterback and have 100 attribute points to add to number one, arm strength, accuracy, speed, awareness, and number five, toughness. So again, arm strength, accuracy, speed, awareness, or IQ, and number five, toughness. How would you divide the points? So you have 100 points. You've got to divide them between five categories. So I'd give everyone 20 points to start because arm strength, accuracy, speed, awareness, toughness, five. Five divided by 100 is 20. Give all, each of them 20 points. Then I have to ask the question, which categories are more important than the other? So I think the two most important things for a quarterback are accuracy and awareness. You've got to be smart. You've got to be accurate bar none. So I would take five is too small. So six points off of arm strength to give it to accuracy. You don't need the strongest arm. You need a good enough arm. Give 
14 out of, instead of 20, 14 points to accuracy, 26, excuse me, 14 points to arm strength, 26 points to accuracy. I'll put up a little graphic for people to see this. Uh, I think speed is less important, so I'd give, I take six points off of speed, give it to awareness, because you want to be, again, with arm strength, you want an arm that's strong enough, but you need to be accurate more than have a strong arm. With speed, you don't need to be fast. You need to be able to extend a play a little bit, and then smart enough to know when the play is being extended, where to throw the ball. I think awareness is more important than speed, so I'd give 26 points to awareness, 14 points to speed. I'd leave toughness where it's at, uh, 20 points for toughness, because... Uh, it, it matters. It's important. You got to be able to take a hit. You got to be able to not just, I'm going to say this is not just toughness physically, it's mental toughness and fortitude. And so in the end, what we're left with is 26 points for accuracy, 26 points for awareness or IQ, 20 points for toughness, 14 points for speed and 14 points for arm strength. Again, I think arm strength and speed are overrated. Um, you have to have good enough. You have to be fast enough to extend a play. You have to have a strong enough arm to throw the ball well enough. But accurate, you're, you got to be accurate, and you got to be smart. If you're not accurate and smart, you're screwed. So um, that's where I would prioritize everything. Basically, what I'm saying is um, awareness and accuracy are super important. Toughness mentally and physically is super important. Arm strength and speed are less important for a quarterback, and that's what I would do uh, for those rankings. Seb writes in. Seb says, if you had to be stuck in quarantine with one NFL player, coach, or general manager, who would it be and why? Thanks. Hope you're staying safe during these times, these unprecedented times from Seb in the UK. Uh, Matt Rule, the Panthers head coach, is a guy I would love to be trapped in a room with. Uh, if there was a guy I had to talk to, because that, this question really is, who would you want to talk to a lot, in my opinion? What guy, who would you want to be around? Um, and it wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to be around a loudmouth guy who's annoying. <laughs> now I think about it. Uh, Matt Rule is my favorite NFL head coach. I would love to be, I'd love to talk to him and pick his brain and talk about life and talk about football. His whole philosophy, the way he builds teams is so interesting to me. Uh, Matt Rule's the guy I'd want to get quarantined with. Now, there is another example. He didn't say ownership, but I will just kind of take the liberty of doing that. Um, Shad Khan, Shahid Khan, from, he's the owner of the Jaguars. Um, he's from Pakistan. The owner of the Jaguars is from Pakistan. He had a normal background growing up. He went to college. He was not from like a middle-class family. Um, and he used to wash dishes for $1.20 an hour. I mean, he's not like most billionaires come from a ton of money. He used to wash dishes for $1.20 an hour. And now he's worth $7.9 billion. I want to talk to that guy. How the hell did you get where you're at? I, I, I just, I, I, it's so fascinating to me. He owns a company that's in the car industry, making bumpers, and he owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. He works with Toyota, who's my favorite car manufacturer. I love Toyota. I, they're just, I'm ride or die Toyota. I think they're the best car on the market. Um, we can talk, someone, if you want to hear about that, ask me a question about Toyota. I'll go into it. I'll have to go into their philosophies, and I have a deeply well-thought-out reason why I love Toyota, but um, Shad Khan is the most interesting owner in sports to me, to come from Pakistan, to come from pretty much nothing, and become a billionaire. That's that's a fascinating story I want to hear about. And I, I I think he's just cool. He owns a soccer team. He's a cool dude. Um, I I just I like his mustache. Everything about Shad Khan is just an awesome dude, and I'd love to love to sit down and talk to him. He's maybe the most. I should do a topic about him. He's the most fascinating person in the sports world to me. Like that. I, there's the one one person in football where I'm like, I I just want to know what his life has been like and hear his stories because he's just really really cool and has a really cool story. Okay, Robert writes in the final question of the day. He says, hey, Zach, what's your take on JT Dan- the JT Daniels situation at USC? Should he leave and why? 
So JT Daniels was the starter at USC. Uh, he got hurt. He tore his ACL. And his backup, freshman quarterback, Keaton Slovis, came in and was phenomenal. Keaton Slovis played mostly like an NFL quarterback. I mean, not, he had flashes where he was bad, but he had some flashes where you're like, wow, this dude is throwing balls in a really tight window. So he's extending plays. He's working to his third and fourth reads. He's stepping up in the pocket. He was playing phenomenal. Um, and I think USC has potential for, they have two guys who could be NFL quarterbacks, Keaton Slovis and JT Daniels. I would stick with Keaton Slovis if I was USC. If I was USC, I'd say, hey, Keaton Slovis is our guy. Um, he was our guy last year. He's great. His improvisation is why I love him. He's really accurate. His ability to extend plays, though, Keaton Slovis's ability to extend plays are what makes him special. So I would stick with him. Uh, JT Daniels has NFL potential as well. He should leave and go play somewhere. Maybe University of Washington, maybe Washington State. Uh, man, they need a quarterback. Washington State would love probably to have JT Daniels, but I hope both quarterbacks succeed. But if I was USC, I would commit to Keaton Slovis. Um, but I, I think both are great. I hope they both make it in the end. Um, I think they're both good quarterbacks, but I, I really, Keaton Slovis, man, looks like an NFL quarterback when I watch him play. His his habits, his traits are just, it's there, man. Not, I'm not talking about arm strength, about accuracy, the way he moves around in the pocket. He's high level and he's a really good quarterback. Okay, guys, that's all I have. Uh, the last thing I want to say today, I talked about my brother a little bit earlier. Four years ago, my younger brother took his life. It was awful. And I learned two really painful lessons from it. Number one, if you're struggling, please go get help. Um, my brother suffered in silence. He never told anybody he was having a hard time. One day walked into his bedroom and he was dead on the floor. And that's just terrible. I don't want that for anybody. So if you're struggling, please go talk to somebody, a professor, a teacher, a parent, uh, your best friend, go get help somehow. And if you really have no one to talk to as a last resort, if there is no one you can talk to, then call the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255. If you have nobody to talk to, call the suicide hotline, go get help. And then the second painful lesson I learned when my brother died was that you got to tell people you love them. Make sure the people in your life know how much you care about them, how much you love them. Give them a hug. Say you're there for them. Make sure they know that if they're struggling, they can talk to you. I didn't do a good enough job making it clear to my younger brother that he could come talk to me when he was having a hard time. So I encourage you, give people hugs. Tell them you love them. Make it clear to them that if they're struggling, they can come talk to you and lean on you if they need you. So make sure people know they're loved. And if you're struggling, if you're the one struggling, please, please go get help. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. Bam, bam, we are